Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Knocks. This is Adam Frommel here with my always fantastic co-host, Dan Favalli. Dan and Brian Taporek have already recorded playoff previews for six of the eight series in the first round of the 2022 postseason. Dan and I are here to pick up with the last two. Uh, we're coming off the final day of the play-in tournament, which featured two incredibly exciting basketball games. I think my heart rate is still coming down a little bit from both games. How about yours? Yeah, I didn't get into detail as much as I wanted to on Hawks Cavs because I was working on a big project. Uh, but I could, between the text message box with you in it and then just like obviously having it on in the background, just very seesawy and high adrenaline. And then the Clippers Pelicans one, I had to write something very quickly after that one. It was stressing me out because I thought I was going to be able to work ahead at one point. But my God, uh, validates the play in though, as Draymond Green tweeted on Saturday night, uh, Friday night as well. Excuse me. Midway through the second quarter, I was going to text you and be like, so do you want to like record at halftime? <laughs> and I'm glad we didn't do that. Could you imagine? It would have been such a waste of time. <laughs> right. We're uh, used to that, at least. I do think it's not that I had interest. I root for chaos. But I think it's good that we saw two nine seeds get in. And I know it's a unique year. Like with the, But it's been like, you could argue the Hawks might have actually been a mm. conventional nine seed. Maybe last mm. year was the anomaly for them. So I think it's good that it wasn't just seven and eight again. I totally agree. I think this this 100% validated the idea, especially with the competitiveness of the games. I mean, the nine tens weren't great, but the seven eights and the the final round, uh, both of those were so compelling and so entertaining. And it did what it's supposed to do, which is get the teams that should be competing in these postseason series in there. I will say it sucks that, the league's health and safety protocols once again play yes. like a role yes. in this with Paul George being out. And I'm hoping, I don't think that we don't think the Clippers would have gone far anyway, unless you really believe that Kawhi was going to come back, uh, which I don't, I don't buy that he would have. No. Uh, then again, on the last podcast, I said he was more likely to come back than Ben Simmons and look how that aged pretty poorly. Whoops. I just hope it doesn't happen like throughout the playoffs. Yeah. There's cause that would just suck. It would suck for so many reasons other than basketball, obviously if that, but I'm just hoping that, we don't see that. Where did you want to start with these two series, though? Let's start in the East. We've got the one seed Miami Heat against the eight seed Atlanta Hawks. And my my initial thoughts here are that this is a pretty lopsided series. I think Trey Young is one of those players who can very much completely carry a team to the point that he could feasibly win a series single-handedly against just about anyone. I'm not sure that there's a better player in the NBA right now at figuring out what a defense is doing and making those in-game adjustments on his own and completely torching that same scheme in the second half in a way that can't be adjusted to as a counter adjustment by that same defense. That said, if you're putting together a team that can stop Trey Young, you want a great point of attack defender who can also switch and body up against bigger players on those switches. You want a great wing stopper who can switch on to Trey Young and stick with him, and you want a great defensive big with mobility. Well, Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo. I don't think there's a single better team in the NBA that is designed to stop Trey Young more than the Miami Heat are. Yeah, maybe Toronto. 
might come close. That would be the only other team that I could. I don't think they have the like super switchable defensively overpowering big. Uh, I feel because like because Bam, Bam is mobile enough to play yeah. that drop coverage and guard both the lob and Trey's floaters. And that's what Toronto doesn't have. So I, this feels the like the nightmare. It's just out of control. Yeah. I won't tolerate it. Fair. <laughs> this feels like the nightmare matchup for Atlanta. I do agree. And it doesn't help that Atlanta has been trashed on defense for a lot of this year, especially with the live ball issues that they've had. We also have to see John Collins is dealing with a right foot injury. I actually don't know. He would certainly help as an offensive safety valve. I don't really know what he would add to this series for them that much. Now Clint Capella is dealing with the left knee issue as we're recording this. We know nothing about that other than the Hawks are optimistic that it's not serious. That could mean any number. It feels like he'll miss at least a few games though. And ultimately I do think, I mean, you named it with the defensive, like the, the way that Miami's defense matches up with Trey young. And it's just the only like Zemblin's hope you would have is that because the heat switched so much, like, can he punish them in any way for it? It's like it, he can't because Bam exists. And that's just, Bam might be even more important than the other two because of what you can't do against him. And so I do think that increases the importance substantially of like a Kevin Herter or a Bogdan Bogdanovich guys who you now need to probably make more plays offensively, but the heat just have so much, so many other talented defenders on their team. You're just, you're going to get to a point where they take away, like not just the Hawks, like primary weapon, but like their first, second and third options on any given play. And that's terrifying. I, I guess if there is like, a reason for optimism. I don't know that Miami is their offensive numbers on the season. were fine, but we have so little data on the bam, Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry pairing. And with Butler and bam, but not really taking threes or long range jumpers at all. The heat actually have a below average offense when all three of them are on the court together. Their defense is so incredible that it doesn't matter. They are very reliant though, or have been on some killer bench units. And then I think this is where the importance of Tyler Hero comes into play for them. People can quibble, argue, hate his shot selection. And he does take some pretty bad shots, but a lot of the times it just feels like those are the shots he almost has to take because when he's on the floor, sometimes it shrinks. Like he might, he probably has more room to operate when he doesn't have both Bam and Jimmy on the court. And so if, if there's a saving grace for Atlanta, if you can get your defense set, maybe that gives you a fighting chance, but just like, You've been so bad in that regard all year. And without Capella, it probably gets even harder. I really do like Onyeka Okungu, though. And he great is, instincts around the basket. And this is he's someone who could help a lot in this series. It's just you start to run out of if Clint Capella is not available and Collins isn't available. Oh, we're out of bigs. Hi, Gorgie Jang. Like, no, that that's not the answer. That is definitely not the answer. I, I think the offensive concerns get mollified a little bit. If Atlanta has a consistent secondary shot creator, it doesn't. I think Bogdanovich is the natural pick here as the X factor for the Hawks, simply because he can fill that role. We saw him fill it in the second half against the Cavaliers. He has been pretty good. Well, from what I've seen, and then the numbers will back this up. He's been really good since the Collins. Yes. And he's got the pull up jumpers and he can create for himself, but you don't want him doing that over the course of a full game, much less a full series. And even when he does, it's not really done in a way that involves everyone else. And if you're not having everyone clicking on all cylinders, you need Trey 
And if you're taking Trey out of the game, what's the answer here? So I, I struggle to, to come up with an offensive strategy for Atlanta that's going to yield enough points, even against a diminished Miami offense. They've, I don't, I don't even know if this helps because you're ultimately not going to win this series by winning the minutes Trey Young doesn't play. But Bogey, the offense being great when mm-hmm. he plays without Trey, and the the pairing between him and Delon Wright just seems to work. And so the Delon Wright minutes against Cleveland, was he a plus twenty four? I think he he might as well have been a plus eighty because Nate McMillan should not have taken him out of the game in the second half and allowed Cleveland to come back in. Yeah. So, and the the pairing between him and Bogey has just worked. When those two are on the court without Trey Young, I actually think I haven't checked the numbers a little bit. They've they've annihilated opponents mm-hmm. during that playing time. So that helps in the sense that if you can tread water without Trey Young, I still don't know how to figure out the Trey Young minutes, especially when his the two most familiar th- threats for him at the five position right now might not be playing. I've no he him and Onyeka Kung will be fine, but like there's a difference with the connection with Clint Capella, yeah. and then also. John Collins, one of the things that only people have talked about enough is when you had Capella, he couldn't be the primary screener all the time. And he was billed as this like just screen and dive guy. He does so much more, whether it's relocate, he's hitting threes, like he has his little bit of a floor game there. So they will miss that. That would have been another element, at least that made their offense more dynamic, even if you don't love the fit with him and Capella on the court at the same time. I I'm, I just, I wish I had an argument that would make me say this is more than a heat sweep or he gentle, like right. a gentleman sweep, but let's, I, I think like Trey, Trey is good enough that he might just be impervious to any defensive efforts at this point in a seven game series, because he is so good at making those in-game adjustments. So I think the case you can make is that he has a couple 40 pieces in his bag and steals a few games. And look, it helps that they do take care of some of the low-hanging fruit on offense where it's, you know, no one turns the ball over less frequently. Um, They do get to the foul line at a pretty good clip, although I don't know how much losing their two primary bigs is going to hurt that for them. Uh, You did, you hit it right on the head with the secondary creator stuff, though. And is this like a, could this be like a Gallo series because he likes to operate at such a slow pace and Miami wants to slow things down for you when you're in the, I mean, they want to be disruptive, obviously. But um, and they're third. I feel like I feel like a Gallo series though is like a couple of twelve point halves. Like we're not going to see a thirty five point Gallinari game. I feel like when I'm watching Gallinari, I'm seeing like twenty five years into the future of Luca's career. Mm, they didn't have the same trajectories, but like Gallo right now is what a forty year old Luca. <laughs> I can kind of see that, but also like this, even if the tempo suits Danilo Gallinari in the series I don't think the matchups do because he's usually at his best yeah yeah yeah. he's he's usually at his best in offense but he's like on a switch posting up a smaller guy okay like do you really want to run that against Kyle Lowry or PJ Tucker no probably not I so is there a chance well let me ask you this question game the game is close what is Atlanta's closing unit I, I, it's Trey. probably it's probably Trey Bogey. Herder. Oh, okay. I think Trey Herder, Bogdanovich, Gallo, and Capella if he's available because you just you need the offensive options against this Miami team. I'm so I'm so low on DeAndre Hunter right now. 
Look, he blew by Montrezl Harrell in that first playing game. Okay, amazing, truly astounding. Is there any scenario? And if Capella is not available, what are the chances? Obviously, Okungwu. Then, if you want to play with big, what are the chances that everything we talked about, where it's the Hawks are saying we need to lean into the offense, so we're going to go nuclear, and like this is Gallo at the five, and it's not. This is not something I'm basing off of anything that I've seen, <laughs> because I think I've seen Gallo play the the five like once if at all and i actually feel like i'm dreaming that up right now that that ever happened this season so we're gonna see some gallo pj tucker five minutes that would be something i I think that hinges on both collins and capella not being available and i guess in which case that's really not nuclear it's hey we prefer this to i mean i get they could break they could bust out jalen johnson too if they wanted to i hope they do look i'm just saying this is clearly a large enough sample size 46 possessions with Gallo at center this season, and the Hawks are a plus 12.6 points per 100 possessions with a 132.6. You found the answer. Hawks in five. Done. Who is your... Oh, the other thing I wanted to ask you is, who's... Well, let's let's go to the X-Factors first. So who's your X-Factor for Atlanta? You have Bogey? Yeah, it's got to be Bogey. I have Bogey. I, I think you can make a case for DeLon Wright, but probably less so in a series that you have to find offense. Mine's bogey too. Um, I did force some variability later on the podcast. I don't feel about doing um, bad about doing that. However, I will say if you had to pick someone else, DeAndre Hunter is kind of an X factor here because you need DeAndre Hunter to be at the very least better defensively overall. Uh, even if you're not worried about Miami's half court offense, just like you just lost Clint Capella. Is Onyeka Kongu now your best defender on the team right now or in your rotation? Or Delon Wright? Sorry, I feel like there's a lot of shallow at the five. <laughs> or Jalen Johnson at the five with Gallo at the four. There you go. Uh, and Bench Hunter. But the fa- my point is the fact that you just didn't have Hunter in your closing lineup, that's a pretty big issue. Yeah, it is. There are a lot of pretty big issues in this series. Here, um, let me give you my X Factor from I already gave you my X Factor from Miami, so let me give it to you. I, I think it's Tyler Hero, just because of the, the limitations I mentioned that we've seen on the half court offense so far. What's really interesting, and part of this has been, or a major part of this has been health, we just don't have a ton of data on what he looks like playing beside Miami's three stars. And is that something, when you get into close games in the playoffs, uh, are you going to put Tyler Hero alongside three of them? Or are you so worried about him being exploited on defense that you don't play him? And are the Hawks a team, like, can they even do that? Like having bogeys, does that on offense, if we know they're not worried about Trey Young, and Miami's going to do things like off-ball switching that's just going to make it so that you really can't maybe go after Tyler Hero, but perhaps they can be, like, that's something that they can go after if Miami goes to that unit, which they've done for sub-250 possessions this season. I just looked it up, and it's been a disaster, by the way. My pick is also Hero um, for largely the same reasons. I'll add two big picture thoughts. One is that the criticisms that he receives for taking so many difficult shots, I think are just a little off base in general, as they are for a lot of players who take tough shots. No NBA offense generates easy looks every time down the floor. Someone has to take those shots. If he's good at them, he should be taking them. Ideally, he gets easier looks as his career continues to develop, but the fact that he's already comfortable taking and making those is an unmitigated positive to me. And the second point is he's up for a max contract extension soon. We've talked about that before on previous episodes. And so far we have a two year postseason sample in 2020. He went nuclear. That was in the bubble. 
in 2021, he couldn't hit anything in that first round loss. Uh, 31.6% from the field, 31.6% from three. And he did make all his free throws, but that's not saying too much when he only took, I believe, seven of them. So where, where is he going to fall on that postseason spectrum as he continues to develop? So even beyond this individual series, I think it, I think it's really important for Miami in general that he gets off to a good start. What's your prediction for this series? Heat and four. So I don't even think I don't even think Trey can steal a game against this specific defense. The follow-up questions to that is one, do you see Victor Oladipo making an impact here at all? Or do you think that this might he's been like, oh, like his some of his shooting splits have been really good over the past however long it's been. I thought about him as an X factor. Just it just doesn't about look good Heat. though, right now. Like I just I don't see that explosion. I don't see him creating open looks. So I, I struggle to see that happening in the playoffs in particular. Yeah, it was just a thought. Uh, he's like, I think over, I can't remember what the filters were, but he was shooting like an astronomical percentage from the floor, but the the team stats are not great. Uh, the Heat are, their half-color offense is barely league average when he's on the court this season. Uh, and he hasn't even played through, and they're being outscored by 3.9 points per 100 possessions overall. And the offense in the 13th percentile when he plays overall. The, the follow-up to Hero, by the way, really quickly, it's not like he's looking off of Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry for all these looks either. There are a lot of lineups where neither of them are in there or he's with one of them. And that just changes the, um, the context of his offense. I was going to ask you who you thought was more likely to get swept since you didn't do this, the podcast with me, the, um, the bulls or the, the Hawks, but I'm guessing you think it's the Hawks over the bulls. I think it's the Hawks. I'm going to say heat and five. And maybe the concern, maybe everything we just talked about with their offense won't matter. Bam was on fire to finish the season. Uh, Miami just feels like they weren't last year, but this just feels like we said this at the beginning of the season was almost one of our concerns was, are they just a postseason team? Are they going to mm-hmm. be on cruise control throughout the regular season? And their defense is just, it's hellfire. And so I do think Trey's good enough to get you a game. And I like what I've seen from bogey enough to where I just feel like, okay, maybe. Uh, but even Miami's bench has been so good this year. So perhaps I, that means I didn't predict a sweep for anyone. So I'll change my bucks in four heat and five that those are my new adjusted picks. Am I allowed to wear a Hawks hat on another episode at this point? Or did I like lose that privilege? I don't know why you're not wearing one during this episode for anyone who's watching on YouTube. If I thought it would be weird to be wearing it when I made that prediction. That's fair enough. Well, if they win a game, We'll have to record immediately after on whatever that game is. You can wear your Hawks at. Fair enough. Pelicans and Suns. I'm not sure anyone would have predicted the Pelicans would be here. No Zion started the season three and 16. Kudos to them for, they got a little bit lucky in the sense that they did get to go up against this Clippers team without Paul George and then still almost blew their lead. What do you make of this series though? Uh, it's almost – I struggled to make a case for Atlanta against Miami. I don't really have a case for New Orleans against Phoenix. I have no case. I have no case at all. Like, this this New Orleans team, super fun. Kudos to them for making it through the play-in tournament. I'm really glad that that six seasons in, Brandon Ingram gets to experience true postseason basketball. Jose Alvarado is an absolute joy to watch. Just the energy with which he plays is an example to every young player out there who's trying to make a roster, trying to carve out a bigger role. Herb Jones, like, if you're not watching him when he plays defense, you're missing out on opportunities to learn things. Trey Murphy the third, 
the the gumption he's shown in big moments is huge. CJ McCollum, so smooth when he's rolling on offense. This whole team is really, really fun to watch and is dangerous. But the Suns are a perfect basketball team or as close as you can come to being a perfect basketball team with a salary cap in place. I, I don't know what their weakness is. And I'll spoil everything right now by saying that they're like my unquestioned title pick. It, it's going to take big time injuries to shift them off that course. That's not spicy when I picked them in the preseason. Just FYI. I'm that, not trying to be spicy. I'm just saying like, I'm going to spoil my answer. Here. Oh, I, yeah, they, they, they're 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 looking pretty good right now with no Luca. <laughs> that's they, what that's what's gonna happen. This gonna, is this is gonna be the true asterisk title. Utah's gonna win because every star is gonna get hurt. I was actually thinking, what what the hell? Everyone's wondering what's gonna happen in Utah, regardless. What happens in Utah if Luca doesn't play and they still lose this series? <laughs> so the Pelicans with Zion are going to be terrifying if they can get there yeah. next season. I don't I don't like the way that they match up against Phoenix. It's it's pretty clear too that he's not playing this postseason, right? Yeah, I mean we know that he wants to and that the Pelicans don't want him to and I think it's a good thing that he wants to play. Mm. I also don't think it's a bad thing that the Pelicans aren't letting him play. I do think that they've yeah. probably given him more carte blanche than they should within the organization it sounds like or at least his his family or his representatives whoever they are, but they're prioritizing the long-term future and there's, you know, when you look at Zion, he's just, I don't want to boil him down to just saying he's a specimen, but he's, he's a human anomaly. And there could be a concern that his prime is going to be shorter than normal anyway. So we're not going to risk any right. injury um, when he's actually like injured. If he's, if we don't think he's hundred percent or we just don't want him ramping it up in fucking mid April. And so I totally understand both ways. He would obviously be a big help in any series. I just don't, Look, I do think New Orleans can do some interesting things against the Suns um, when they're on offense, just looking at what CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram can do. But Phoenix has, like, the defenders to really get after them and doesn't have to go to the extremes that the Clippers did at going after Ingram and McCollum. But they also could because, as we just saw, like, you either need Trey Murphy the third, um, who came in and played some big minutes, or you're going to need Jose Alvarado to hit more of his threes. Like, you need more of your supporting cast to make – uh, these teams pay if they're going to play Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum aggressively. But again, if you just look at the Suns personnel, they can play straight up if they want to, or, or with simple switching. The other thing that I thought about was, okay, what if New Orleans just went to the downsized look where they've gone from See, playing? I, I think that's a disaster. But Okay. Well, you're stealing words out of my mouth now. Is Jackson Hayes, Jonas Valanciunas, I don't like the look of them together, even though the Pelicans have gotten like some minutes out of them. It made sense against the Clippers because the Clippers forced the hand and Larry Nance Jr. is playing so well. But Phoenix like has just like destroyed the Clippers themselves when they downsized. And so you're playing into that. I do think Larry Nance Jr. at the five is different from having, is it Robert Covington or Marcus Morris Sr. or Batum, whoever you want to consider it. I do think that's different. And if if things aren't going well, I could see them trying that. But like DeAndre Ayton just doesn't move like a, a conventional big. Um, so I don't know that that even works. So again, I could see the Pelicans putting up actual points on the Suns, but I also don't know how they're going to be built to defend Phoenix. Your best chance to defend Phoenix might actually be going small because I don't know what the 
Jackson Hayes Valanciunas front court gives you on defense there. Maybe Hayes' athleticism, just him straight up, like him going up against Aiton, that's something you want to see. So I, I, I just struggled to see. I would like to see is what I'm getting at. I want to see New Orleans get weird in this series. Uh, we've already seen that like they prefer Jose Alvarado over Devontae Graham. And I don't think that they should be a, afraid to try some of the quirkier stuff. Like, look, Larry Nash Jr. is under contract for next season. Why don't you see what happens if you're going to match him straight up against Aiton? So, or at least like, can we go to Jackson Hayes, Larry Nance Jr.? A little something like that. Just let's get a little bit weird. I agree about getting weird. I'm terrified of downsizing in this series, though, because there is not a point guard in NBA history who has been better at getting the ball to big men than Chris Paul. And DeAndre Ayton, when he is the true big man on the floor, he looks like David Robinson out there sometimes. Like, he is so good at capitalizing on a size advantage. And that pair together against a young Pelicans team foul trouble out the wazoo. I just, I I don't see any solution to guarding without one big on the floor. So if you want it to be Jackson Hayes and then you pair him with Larry Nance, sure. Like go for that. Like, as you said, let's get weird. But I don't think going like truly small against this Phoenix team is a recipe for anything other than obliteration. Yeah, I guess I just don't. And look, the numbers offensively with Jackson Hayes and Jonas Valanciunas have been great. And New Orleans is like plus five per hundred possessions with those two. I just don't, I don't like, you say downsizing to Larry Nance could be a disaster. I like their chances defensively. If, if it's like Larry Nance, Trey Murphy III, Herb Jones, McCollum and Ingram go without a point You guard. still have a good bit of length there, but oof. That's the I, alternative. That's a like, that's a thirty fifteen game for Aiden waiting to happen. Okay, well, what what is so different? So you just trust Jackson Hayes to defend DeAndre Aiden that much more than Larry Nance Jr. is what? Yes, right? yeah. I, I mean, I don't think that you're guarding him well, regardless in this series. But I do think that like the chaos that Hayes can bring means that there might be more disruptive plays and just the size. Aiden Aiden does not capitalize against bigger players like he does against smaller ones. I think that much is undeniable based on what he's done throughout the season. I guess you might be just higher on Jackson Hayes than I am, or also higher. Oh, on I'm definitely not on de- on defense than I am. I'm, I am higher on Jackson Hayes' size. There's. Do we just get into X factors here? Like I don't even. What? Yeah. This is one of those like where the talent disparity is so wide. New Orleans is fun and scrappy and has interesting pieces, but like who, who, who are the five best players in this series? Evan Booker, Chris Paul. I think probably McCollum and Ingram are both in the top five. You would have them both above Bridges and Aiden. I, I would not both. But Aiton or Bridges would be the other one. I'd probably lean towards. I still think Mikael Bridges is more valuable to the Suns than DeAndre Aiton. So I'm I do too. Throw him in there. If you wanted to say that, I mean Ingram has to be in there when you're looking at what the choices are. Um, and McCollum has been great for New Orleans on offense. He gives you someone to attack on defense. Clearly, the Clippers did a good job of that. So I mean, and then we still haven't even mentioned Cameron Johnson and Jay Crowder. But like those are not. You know, they uh, to me, I think it's arguable the Clippers of uh, the Pelicans have two of the top five players in this series. I just don't know that, that that's the proper argument for disparity. Now, if you go in 
who's the Pelicans' third best player versus the Suns' third best well, player? Well, that, that's where I was going with it. Yeah, that's that the talent gap there is yeah. is absurd. And I'm just like, what happens to you know Ingram and McCollum or like all of a sudden? I mean, I guess the Clippers, they run so much extreme stuff and they have a great like a bunch of great defenders on there, but you now you're going up against the Suns team that has Jay Crowder and, and Mikhail Bridges. And like if you get by people, like DeAndre Ayton is still just going to be right there. And look, by the way, if you downsize against the Suns and they decide maybe Ayton's taking a breather and they don't want to play Deval McGee, like they just have Tory Craig sitting there. And that's Tory Craig who hits threes when he plays whenever he puts on the Suns jersey. Like he's just going to shoot a trillion percent from three. So I I, I stand by Phoenix basically being a perfect team. So my concerns with Phoenix would be we should probably get into their, it might be more valuable to get in their overarching title stock. I do wonder if like the absence of rim pressure could hurt them a little bit. I think they're better set up to do that based off what we've seen from Aiton during that stretch without Chris Paul. Um, they do have JaVale McGee as like sort of that athletic rim runner. And I, you will never get me just looking at like how offenses relied on a Kawhi and a Paul George when they were healthy and it was fine. I can't get up in arms about, oh, they don't get to the rim enough, or I'd like to see right. them get to the foul line more. I think what might be the bigger concern, might, and this is just like splitting <laughs> hairs, they were 14th in defensive rebounding rate this year. Um, we did see last year against the Bucs, they gave up, it was 30-plus points in transition and second-chance points opportunities per game during the finals. That's a lot. But they have JaVale McGee now. I'm not saying he would have made the difference in that finals thing, but it's like, you, you know, Dario Saric, even if he was healthy for the, I think he only played like what, three minutes in that series or something ridiculous, uh, like he wouldn't have done much there. So they, they are, they are as close to basketball infallibility as we have right now in the league. I don't, I, I do think a healthy Warriors team is built to disrupt their offense a lot more than I think people have been talking about. But even then, it's like Golden State's sort of shot creation deficit outside of Steph and Jordan Poole does make things a little touch and go there. So, look, I picked Phoenix to win the title of the preseason. I would not walk that back. I'm going to pose this to you right now, though. Over under of, I'm going to say, 3.5 games that the Suns lose to get out of the West. Are you taking the over or the under? I think this is a sweep. So... Wow. I'm, I'm going to take the under. That's gutsy because if they, but then again, if so, if they, they're going to win this series, um, I'm going to, I, gonna I, take I, the as I well. look up and down the standings and I just, I fail to see who matches up well with this team because with Steph hobbled, I, I don't think golden state gets past Denver. Can we wait to see Steph play before we just assume that he's like, how many he's come back from injuries before. But if, if we're specifically saying that, he's not even going to play 30 minutes in game one. Then he's hobbled. That could just be more of like a conditioning issue. And and, or maybe it's gamesmanship. That could be it too. So I look, I, I don't know if I would take the under. That was my own one. I don't have to make a pick. I'd probably take the under still because you're going to go up against either the Mavericks or the Jazz in round two. And like neither of those, neither no. of those teams is going to. That could be a sweep also. So, yeah. I'll take the under on that too. Um, I'll take the under. Let's just go with that high on Phoenix. Apparently who's your X factor for the Pelicans in this series. Adam silver. Like maybe he rigs it in their favor. Is Zion just coming back. Right. 
something like that. No, I, I mean, it's it's hard to pick an X factor for either of these because it feels like the most lopsided of the first round series. So, like, who of the Pelicans could truly put them over the edge? Are we going to say, like, if I go with Jose Alvarado here, who probably has, like, the most variability, like, if he's knocking down threes, if he's still playing with that energy and impact, if he's disrupting Chris Paul for the full length of the court and somehow throwing him off his rhythm. Is that enough? It's not enough, but I think that that makes the, the series like exponentially more interesting to where, Oh, maybe this goes. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. So if we're, if we're approaching it from an interest perspective, not a Pelicans winning the series perspective, then I think Alvarado is the pick. I have, I'll just go with Trey Murphy, the third for the sake of variety here. And I also do think, they need, we mentioned this at the top of the podcast, the Pelicans need, like CJ McCollum was a perfect fit, but if you're going to go up against teams that can either disrupt or commit so much attention to both he and Brandon Ingram, you need players on your team to make those decisions pay when they're going to be open. I think by tra- playing Trey Murphy third, who at least you know should functionally help you on defense relative to your other options that aren't Herb Jones for the most part. If you have him out there and he was, the best he shot 43.8% from deep when he entered the Pelicans rotation for good. And it was like almost 20 games hit big shots in that playing game. That's something that I think can keep the pressure on the defense. And it this might, if I'd probably feel differently, if it wasn't Phoenix that they were playing, because I just feel like the Suns mm-hmm. are built to navigate whatever at this point, uh, that would be my pick though. And maybe he also having him and Herb Jones, does that inspire you to try out different front court combinations or, no point guard, more no point guard combinations where uh, Devontae Graham isn't playing, Jose Alvarado isn't playing, and you have McCollum and Ingram, and then it's Herb Jones and uh, Trey Murphy III, then you fell out your five. I would just go with Larry Nance Jr. for the sake of backing up my own argument from a four, but going with Jackson Hayes or Valanciunas there. So I'm, I don't mean to disrespect the Pelicans here and just assume that they can't get a game. This is more about how high I am on the yes, Suns. And I actually agreed. do think when you look at New Orleans' personnel, um, if you can look at a lot of their transition defense this season, they overachieved on that end of the floor after their three and 16 start, obviously. So I would view this as a very encouraging season from new Orleans, given everything that happened, no Zion, their start. And the fact that they just got, I mean, we don't know how the negotiations went down, but Larry Nance jr. In mm-hmm. the CJ McCollum trade. And then also, by the way, Robert Covington in the Norman Powell trade. Like these have shades of, oh, Danny Green went to Toronto with the Kawhi Leonard trade. Uh, just incredible that both those teams were able to get two, like two Blazers for the, the modest prices that they ended up paying for them. The other thing here that's great for New Orleans is just the experience because that should not be overlooked. Even if it's just a four game sweep and none of the games are particularly competitive. That's super valuable experience for a young team that not all the primary pieces have been here before and is expected to enjoy continuity plus the addition of someone like Zion Williamson next year. I mean, that that is it is a monumental help to guys like Herb Jones and Trey Murphy and Jose Alvarado and Brandon Ingram as well, because he hasn't been on this stage. It would and I'm, I don't want to make it about the discourse. That's where it comes in. And you miss Zion Williamson, not just because of what he does for your product, but this would have been just to get the experience there. Mm-hmm. I will also say the New Orleans crowd during that playing game, one of the best New Orleans crowds that I've Fantastic. watched in quite some time. So that'll be fun. 
And the other thing about New Orleans, I don't want to do the postmortem on their season right now. Like if you just put, and I know they have Jonas Valanciunas, I know they have Jackson Hayes, I know they have Larry Nance Jr. If you just put like an elite rim protector on this team, the West is incredibly deep, but I would probably be ready to pick them as the top four team in the West next season. Wow. Okay. And it's, I'm not talking about okay. it. Needs to be, I'm not saying it needs to be miles. That's Turner. bold. Um, is it? Yeah, I think so. Cause Phoenix isn't going anywhere. Denver is going to be healthy. The, the Grizzlies, the Mavericks are always going to be good with Luca. The, the Warriors are still going to have their core. There's a lot of good teams in the West. We've also seen, though, that there's going to be a lot of hit. The Clippers should have Georgia and Kawhi. Should. We've been saying that since they signed Georgia and Kawhi, though. And I'm still saying should. So, I look, I would. it depends on the quality of... It might be the Jazz's year. <laughs> you sound like Danny Ainge at his next... <laughs> if he ever has a press cup, part-time CEO or whatever he is there. So, yeah, I, it's Suns in four for me. Yeah. Who's your X Factor for the Suns? campaign because i want to see if he can repeat the heroics that we saw during the run through the western conference last year when he just seemingly couldn't miss got to the rim at will and all that and if he can provide valuable minutes or if he's on the floor often enough because these games aren't close then you're buying rest for chris paul and devin booker for what is going to be a long playoff run um mine's going to be javel mcgee just because if anything it's like looking back they could have probably used him and last year's finals and if the pelicans are going to play at least one big all the time you need someone reliable behind deandre and to, to take those minutes and he should against this team help you on the defensive glass a lot so yeah that's my that's my x factor there uh we're gonna have to eat a lot of crow in new orleans wins if new, i mean if new orleans <laughs> wins that's one of the biggest upsets in playoff history is it not yes new orleans, maybe Phoenix would it be the won, biggest I'm trying to think back to where like, like the, we believe warriors beating the Mavericks, but the Mavericks were not the juggernaut that these sons are. Right. I mean, the Suns just had an historically good season. So yeah. who did the warriors face in the first round in 2016? Was it, was it Anthony Davis's Pelicans? Was that the year that he made that like corner three with his eyes closed to force overtime in game one? And they won that one. It was not because they beat the Rockets in the first round that year. Uh, but might have that, been one year off. And, yeah, so I don't – and Houston was – I mean, Houston was the eight seed that year. I don't know if that would – would that have counted as the biggest upset in playoff history? They had James Harden and Dwight Howard and Bevs and a 30, 30-year-old. Probably not, probably not. Just because of the talent on that roster. Yeah, and I guess the Pelicans, Pelicans don't have that. It would be whatever. It'd be one of the biggest upsets in playoff history. I don't think the Pelicans are going anywhere. They're going to get Zion back. And like I said, I don't know if they would be as enthralled. They just went out. They have Jonas Valanciunas. They have Jackson Hayes. So maybe they don't want to go like too, you know, full bore after another big. But I would be all over any not. I no, not Rudy Gobert. Let me make that clear. But like, if Miles Turner is still available in Indiana, I don't. I'm not opposed to like. Yeah, okay, you have that's. No one on this roster is going to preclude me is what I'm getting at from chasing any other big that I think is the quintessential fit for Zion, CJ, Herb Jones, and Brandon Ingram. You just, you slot just a, a really good rim protector on that team. Not Mason Plumley. Charlotte Hornet fans know what I'm talking about. So they're, they're a top four team in the West. That would be my recklessly optimistic stance on the Pelicans. You're not going to back off. I respect it. 
So we I have, don't agree with it, but I respect it. You have Heat and you have two sweeps. Heat two and Suns are going to sweep. I'm giving yeah. the Hawks a game against the Heat. I'm going to say that the Suns sweep. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to this. We hope you enjoyed these super deep playoff dives. We will be back talking to you in a, in a few days after we've digested some playoff action. Until next time, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on the socials. Those are all in our podcast descriptions. TikTok and IG, I'm putting out. We're putting out exclusives on there. Follow us there. YouTube, we are so close to 1K subscribers. I think we're at like 980-something at this point. So go subscribe to us on YouTube. Definitely subscribe to the podcast first. Join Discord. Link is in the podcast description, or you can DM one of us uh, if you're having trouble accessing it. And finally, if you've done all those things, consider spreading the word about Hardwood Knox being pleasantly, modestly insufferable as far as national NBA coverage goes. And with that said, we leave you the shout out to the one, the only, the still playoff bound, the mother of all fucking X-Factors entering the 2022 postseason, Frank Filipino.